0: Welcome to Life After CISO, where we'll talk about your next play as a successful technology executive and steps you can take now to prepare for the journey. Welcome back to the Life After CISO podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Jerry Perullo, talking about opportunities available to experienced tech executives ready to move on after your traditional career. In previous episodes, I dove into the CISO as a board director angel investing and advisory work as well. And today I'm gonna talk about another facet of life after CISO that I've heard many of you express an interest in, and that's teaching. So in the process of this discussion, I won't be able to help but to touch on the very concept and the notion of cybersecurity in a classroom setting, particularly in higher education and the art of what really makes sense. So I thought it would make sense to start with a brief history of cybersecurity education at least from my myopic one CISO point of view. So I started college in the 90s, so 1994 to be exact. And at the time, there wasn't anything available for cybersecurity in higher education. You're really lucky to even study computers in any practical sense. And within that space, you really had three majors, at least in my oversimplification, that seemed to have persisted for many years. And those three were basically computer science, engineering, and then this area called CIS or MIS. And computer science, that was good old programming, of course. It had a lot of rigor and history established even by then, by the 90s. And engineering in this area was really about EE, electrical engineering, and its kind of cousin, computer engineering, that was born of, um, as a subset of electrical engineering not that long before. And computer engineering really focused, as a result of it being so closely tied to electrical engineering, to hardware and at a very basic level, so making chips. And then that last one, CIS or MIS, uh, in my assessment at least, it really seemed to be marginalized in engineering institutions, which is a a real shame because it's probably the only area that had some sense of hands-on practical computing. And, and, you know, that's ironic because with computer science focused on C++, if you will, and computer engineering focused on math and electrical power, that last bit, CIS and MAS, seem to be the only place left where you might have a chance to learn how to install an operating system or configure a network interface. And by the way, those things were not happening in comp sci or engineering. In my opinion, not too much has really changed in the last 20 to 25 years. And it's only lately that you're seeing masters, programs pop up that are dedicated to cybersecurity, and a few schools giving it a shot to try an undergraduate program. But let's talk about cybersecurity and and what you really need to be useful in it to really start to analyze how possible it is to even approach that in a higher education degree. So I'll try to oversimplify that coming in it from two ends of a spectrum, the technical side and then the strategic side. And let's start on the latter. So, on the strategic side, you're really going to need emotional intelligence, business strategy, and risk management. And the most valuable courses of study there, at least in my opinion, are going to be the business and law tracks that culminate with an MBA or potentially a law degree. But focusing back on the hard science or the technical end of the spectrum, I've said for many years that there's really three pillars there. So, there's networking, systems, and coding. And that was certainly true 20 years ago. But it's even more true today with cloud, because cloud is exactly those three things jammed into one, networking, systems, and coding. In many cases, you might say it's networking and systems as code. But to be an efficient incident handler, a cyber defense architect, or really any cybersecurity decision maker evaluating risk and deploying controls, you've got to have significant hands-on experience with IP networking, significant hands-on experience with Unix system administration, and ideally Windows as well and at least some practical experience coding. And on that last bit, while you might use interpreted languages and scripting in the day-to-day of being a cyber practitioner, it's a big differentiator whether or not you've studied coding from a systems architecture perspective and dealt with things like memory management and lower-level concepts that are more likely to be exposed in a compiled language or, or even assembler. So anyway, you put that all together, and I'm saying what you need to be strong in cybersecurity is to spend several years building IP networks several years being a Unix administrator, and that you need to have studied computer architecture and assembly language in a classroom setting. And then you can finally be an entry-level SOC analyst while you go to night school and get an MBA so you can move up onto the strategic and decision-making side. And when you look at that, not only does it seem kind of impossible to, to approach, but it's really hard to imagine what an undergraduate program in cybersecurity could even look at. And then I even mentioned red teaming or adversarial strategy. It's just way too much to focus and cram into four years. So instead, what we see today is that focus on a cybersecurity master's degree. But that's kind of weird too, isn't it? I mean, we're somewhat acknowledging that four years isn't enough to tackle the topics I mentioned. But then we're layering a master's focus of cyber on top of basically a wide range of potential undergraduate backgrounds. So now we're gonna end up with students graduating with a master's degree in cybersecurity after six years, which sounds better, but it's not six years along a deliberate, consistent track building towards cybersecurity. Rather, it's this student invested four years on Java, that one burned four years on circuits, that one spent four years studying communication, and then all of them jammed on whatever we cobbled together in two years to call cyber on top of that. And think about what you slip into that master's program when you have such diverse foundations to build on top of, none of which are IP networking or Unix cloud system administration. You end up focusing on cryptography, which really couldn't be any more overplayed, or on buffer overflows on specific compiled binaries, or maybe at best live capture the flag style hacking of web platforms. Basically get something 80% tailored to the specific track of the professor teaching the class. With the balance of the students, woefully unprepared and cramming to figure out the bones of whichever specific microtopic it is that's gonna get beat to death that day. And that's really the state of play in cybersecurity in higher ed today. I don't see practitioner roles recruiting out of cybersecurity degrees or ones that have cybersecurity in the title too heavily. And instead you see hirers somewhat giving up on formal ed and instead either ignoring degrees for on the job experience we're valuing them simply as evidence that someone could get into a difficult program, persevere at something for four years, and have some level of confidence that comes with completing that journey. And then you see employers instead really relying on SANS courses or Black Hat, the B-sides, or similar hyper-specific, almost vocational technical training to gain actual deployable skills. And that works. But like all hobbyists or on-the-job training, you're making constant trade-offs. And learning just enough about something to get it done without the luxury of four years with no job or family pressure where you can afford to really understand the basics and foundations and the product of that whole process is that many of our best practitioners today have never had a chance to truly understand and to study the fundamentals like low-level processor architecture or compiler design or even multiplexing so entered the cso where are you going to fit into this mix well, you have a few choices. First, you can dedicate your life to tackling the big picture issues and revolutionizing the treatment of cybersecurity in higher education. Does so someone out there, please do that. But in the meantime, it's more likely you just would like to get into the classroom and make a difference once you leave your job. So stepping off that soapbox, how do you do that? Well, once again, let's start with what I've been calling the T-5. What do you do five years out to start preparing? Similar to the case that I presented for getting into investment, advisory, or board spaces, you need to identify and deploy the currency that you have. Now, as a sitting CISO or other tech exec, higher ed would love to get you on campus. They recognize the outcome of the situation that I laid out a moment ago and the major mismatch that's unfolding between college graduate skills and what we really need in industry. And while schools may not completely comprehend where the specific problems are, They know that seasoned practitioners hold a lot of the secrets, and they're keen to learn from you. A good way to get involved is via industry advisory boards. Pick the schools that you'd like to engage with first. You might do that by picking your alma mater, where you've been recruiting a lot of great candidates lately, or what's closest to your house. Regardless of how you make your choice, next look at the programs of interest for you there. If you Google for cybersecurity alongside a school name, you'll quickly identify their aspirations and really injection points, if you will. You know, maybe they have a formal school of cybersecurity and privacy like Georgia Tech does, or maybe they have an undergraduate minor, or it may just be a simple introduction to cybersecurity course that they have. Or Maybe they have nothing, but you find some distinguished lecturer series where they invited someone to speak on the topic. And either way, you're gonna spot the individual professors and faculty who clearly have the strongest interest in the topic. And from that point, you're likely to find the departments, the schools and colleges within an institution or university that harbor interest in cyber. And those units, they're often gonna have industry advisory boards. And so that's your first entry point, the IAB, the industry advisory board. So attend the next in-person cyber lecture, student demonstrations or other things they have going on and just say hello. You can enter the conversation with your hiring goals if needed because what school doesn't want potential employers around? And in some cases, you may find that your company has a long-standing relationship with the university around some unrelated field. So maybe that's where you've been hiring mechanical engineers or software engineers or industrial designers for years. Ride those coattails. Find out who at your company is the liaison to the university or institute and have them make the introduction. Schools kind of work like old school nobility, everything has a lot of hierarchy and royalty and red tape and special exceptions for special people. So come in on an intro from someone representing your company or CEO donation to the endowment and you're going to get attention really fast. But either way, gun for those industry advisory boards. The commitment's not very high. It might just be a couple of hours of meetings per quarter. They're likely to be somewhat loosely run and managed. And, And don't be surprised if they forget to schedule a quarter or two here and there. And when you are in the meeting, the agenda is probably gonna be pretty fluid and all over the place. One time you might get a presentation from a researcher working on something esoteric, and the next time you might be giving feedback on the curriculum. But don't over-index on your business sense to want concrete problem statements and resource allocations and delivery deadlines. None of that's really gonna happen, but that's all right. Just get close to the right people and help out in any way that you can. And beyond participating in actual meetings and providing feedback, That might mean judging student projects, delivering one of those distinguished lectures, or speaking to faculty groups about the state of cybersecurity. And then there's my favorite type of CISO engagement, the guest lecturer. Professors often allocate a few class sections for a guest lecturer, and they'd love to have someone from industry talk to students. And that was my favorite thing to do, because in addition to building rapport with the school and filling a specific need in their agenda, it was a recruiting goldmine. Standing face-to-face with a room full of students and laying out the challenges that you solve every day is a perfect way to get your company and personal brand out there. The conversion rate that I had from guest lecturing to hiring during my 20 years as a security leader was pretty astounding. I mean, it was close to a hire for every talk. So that's what you do at T-5. Get on an industry advisory board, meet the faculty, help them with their immediate industry-related needs, guest lecture. But should you also fund them? That's a gray area. If your company's into that sort of thing, just let it happen naturally, but be careful about representing investment directly. Because not only do you run the risk of, in essence, bribing your way into a relationship, but you also run the backfire risk of being kept at arm's length to avoid that misperception. So it might be better to stay clear of any donations or funding and let someone else be the interface point if any money is gonna change hands and stick for your purposes to your wisdom and experience being the benefit. So now on the T0. Now that you've had the relationship for some time, you've been visiting campus from time to time, speaking to a class or two and meeting some students, but you're ready to pull the ripcord and finally leave your full-time job and you're wondering how you can translate that into something more regular. Well, you've got a few options there. What I would not recommend is starting from scratch along the traditional faculty path. That's the, the PhD path. And for most of us, it would mean really starting from scratch. Instead, work with a school looking to establish or improve its cyber curriculum and lay out what areas you could deliver. As a tech exec, it's okay if that focuses on strategy and management. And those areas are woefully neglected in the classroom right now. And while you might position yourself to be another deliverer of an existing cyber course, it's likely more valuable to be associated with a new course or a program focused on strategy and that corporate decorum that's really missing from the classroom today. And talk to the primary faculty tasked with keeping the program up to date, and look for opportunities to contribute. And when those opportunities come, there's a few ways to formally engage. You could be hired as what's simply called a lecturer. And the most popular title, though, is probably adjunct professor. Or you might find a school who can use some specific distinction, like a fellow or a practitioner in residence. So in my case, I'm what's called a professor of the practiced at Georgia Tech and it's in our relatively new School of Cybersecurity and Privacy. And and that's pretty advanced from what I'm seeing out there right now, Um, the fact that there's a dedicated School of Cybersecurity and Privacy, but it's young and we're we're really finding our way. Uh, So I'm, I'm really glad to be a part of that and help set that course to some degree. The Professor of the Practice is a distinction that's been around for a while though, and far beyond Georgia Tech. And it's traditionally been held for people who retire after a long and arguably illustrious career in some particular field. I achieved that via the process that I laid out, really, serving on industry advisory boards for over 10 years at Tech and working with students and faculty periodically, spending time at least every quarter on campus. So In my case, our discussions led to me actually creating a course as the program chairs, are focused on identifying and closing gaps between skill sets of graduating students and what's needed in the field. So the specific course that I designed and that I deliver now is called Adversarial Risk Management, and it's exactly that. I go through 15 weeks of everything under a CISO remit, from strategy to operations, down to red teaming, to board presentations. So it's a wild ride for sure all over the place, and we're talking about DNS tunneling one week and governance metrics the next. But when I tell my colleagues still in industry about it, it's rare for anyone to ask about the curriculum first. What they generally ask is, how do you like it? And they always have this, this gleam in their eye or this lilt when they ask that, as if I told them that I retired to backpack the Great Divide or take a kite surfing sailboat trip around the world. They look at it as one of those things that everyone would love to do in their most romantic hearts, but just couldn't justify making the sacrifices and responsible adulthood to tackle. So I can tell they're really asking if the fulfillment and mission piece of the pie is all that they dreamed it up to be. And the answer is yes. And it's great when you see the type of question you can structure to a student and the type of answer that they're able to deliver back to you after weeks of lecture. And there are absolutely many times when I'm grading exams and I just light up and think, wow, if only my CISO friends could see what this kid just wrote. It's something they've been wishing their most senior executives could comprehend for years. And that's mainly because my content is often focused on the skill the soft skill side and the non-obvious decisions. So I have students saying things like, don't implement a policy that will find you more than 20% out of compliance on delivery. You know, begin behavioral shifts before ratifying it. Or when trying to staff a cybersecurity department, it's often wise to bring people over from operations or software engineering who can bring tribal knowledge and relationships with them. So, you know, all of those things that you just learn over years that it's really otherwise hard to have put into a textbook. And on a technical side, I have them really saying things like, a focus on data center egress controls would buy you a ton of time to patch the next remote code execution bug in an open source package, or exposure and exploitability are king in GRC risk rating, and crown jewel analysis is dead. But that's a teaser for a whole other story. So it's rewarding for sure, and I do feel like I'm force multiplying like crazy through it. Uh, But I just finished my first semester with 15 students and I'm gonna have a similar cohort in the fall and I'm really eager to scale it up to 100 to 300 student audiences. So we have one cool iron in the fire there and I'm kicking off a professional recording session with the online master's program at, at Georgia Tech this summer. And so that material will make it to many students over and over again over coming years. But the biggest hurdle in amplifying the audience is reflective of the most painful part of academia, which is the bureaucracy in red tape. And it is something else. I had the luxury of working in a relatively lean and results-focused organization for most of my career. So it's possible that that shift will be less dramatic for those of you in slower-moving or more politic-heavy roles. But for me, the amount of muck and friction surrounding any decision-making is really just staggering. But it's manageable because of another truly unique aspect of teaching as a retired pro, which is complete abandonment of ambition. So that's another area that really ties to the most fulfillment out of teaching. So while I'm satisfying my ambitious natures and desires through entrepreneurship and investments and board directorship, I've identified that there's absolutely zero need for it in my academic pursuits. And I actually stumbled on that in an early conversation with another professor of practice. So he was far outside cybersecurity um, in a completely unrelated field, and we actually connected out of band when a, a common contact noticed that we were both at Georgia Tech and, and he didn't even realize that we were both uh, professors of the practice as well. But when we connected, and, and he really gave me a lot of mentorship and a lot of tips, of course, but one of the things that we connected on is how this is really the first time in our careers for both of us where we had zero ambitions to move up. You know, it's almost weird to not be looking for the, the next rung in the ladder to climb or analyzing the org chart or figuring out your two year or your five year plan or anything like that. But I really just want to teach in here. And, and you know, that's not um, true of everybody in academia. You know, A lot of folks are trying to move along. And if you take the traditional path, you kind of have to, to really make it possible to earn a, a living if you're gonna be a professor. Uh, but coming in from the outside, it's really a powerful luxury to have and it's liberating. You know, it's almost like when you have nothing to gain, you have nothing to lose. So sure, I want to reach more students. And, you know, that's going to drive me to make some investments on talking to people and meeting the right folks and and growing in that regard. And talking to different departments and schools to give credit in my course or their programs, such as an MBA, but the intensity and pressure of gunning for that next promotion cycle, salary bump, or budget allocation is all gone. And that might be the most rewarding part of the experience of all. So to recap, so first of all, if you're thinking about teaching in cybersecurity after you leave your day job, I'd say it's worth it. So I'll confirm that bit of it and that it can be very fulfilling and a lot of fun, actually. But I'll caveat that it can be a lot of work, especially in the early days if you're creating a course. But the idea is that you want to get to some steady state where you're teaching something consistent, and then hopefully it's, it's manageable and you know a really fun part of your lifestyle. So I, I will encourage it in general. And then as far as ways to approach it, you know, I, like I said, I, I think it's not a great idea to try to go in the traditional path and that you've already devoted so much time to your first career. And likewise, um, I wouldn't just come cold calling the day after you turn in your resignation. So I do think it's one of those areas where you want to start laying the tracks as early as you can. And to that end, as I noted, I think the industry advisory boards and anything where you can get on campus and really play your currency as a practitioner, as a hire, as somebody who's going to have some insights outside of academia, um, I think there's a lot of power in that. And it's probably true broadly and and has been for years, but I think we're at an inflection point where that's extremely valuable in cybersecurity this very day. So definitely use that and build those relationships and spread it out. You know, Don't just worry about only one uh, institute or university. You can certainly help a number of them out right now. And in addition to increasing your chances and opportunities, it's also gonna give you the opportunity to see how different schools work. Cause maybe there's some that really have the perfect type of program for you. So I recommend giving a shot, I recommend pursuing those areas and th- those channels to build those relationships now. And more than anything, If you do decide to go down this road, I hope you really use the opportunity to help figure out how we're gonna tailor the next generation of cybersecurity practitioners and leaders and give them the most practical, hands-on, beneficial feedback so that they come out of the gate adding value and pushing the industry in the right direction. Well, that does it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed the content and are looking forward to the next one. Thanks for tuning in and certainly share your feedback and ideas for future episodes.